Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. From inside our two-bedroom apartment in downtown Baltimore, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you as always. A little change up here. Yeah, this feels Curveball. weird. Brendan is running the live stream, which is the device behind the curtain. We'll show you how the sausage is made. The device that runs these shows live from our two-bedroom apartment. So uh, if this time, if there are any technical errors, we know who to blame. Well, I'll still blame you because technically you are the one who put me in charge of running the live stream. I did, I did, but, you know, ultimately, you know, it is a perfect scapegoat. And sure, I feel like um, I have really, you know, figured something out. I've, uh, by not doing any of the work. I figure, yeah, I figure phase me out of all instances. At some point, I'm just going to become a puppet and somebody else is going to be doing this, the, you know, voice track for me and i'm just gonna be like moving my mouth so that i don't have to do any of that makes sense the thinking right come on none of the work right what do i look like no that that makes sense yeah Yeah. please thank you uh we are going to be talking about uh king felix coming to baltimore felix hernandez being added to the orioles on a minor league deal a few days ago we're going to be talking about wade leblanc being added on a minor league deal probably less than we'll talk about wade leblanc or then we'll talk about felix Felix hernandez Hernandez, rather um and then we're going to go through some lineup machinations, looking at what the Orioles' opening day lineup could look like, what the Orioles' 162 lineup could look like, and everything in between versus righties versus lefties, so on and so forth. So, Brendan, we're going to start by talking about Felix Hernandez. Let's do it. When we were, this news came down the other day. It was, what, last Thursday, last Friday? I think last Friday? No, I last Wednesday. Say? Last what? Has it Days been that long? Yeah. I don't know. Days are hard. I don't know anymore. Uh, but when this news first came down, we were talking about how to frame it and how to, how to send out the tweet. And I said, could we say potential Hall of Famer Felix Hernandez or future Hall Oof. of Famer Felix Hernandez? Yeah. Because in my mind, without like looking at the full stats first, he is a Hall of Famer in my mind. Like, right. And then I looked at the stats and I said, okay, he's probably a little bit away from the Hall of Fame at this point in his career. 15 great years with Seattle. Last year, he signed with the Braves, uh, was with them in spring training. COVID hit. He ended up opting out of the 2020 season, so he has not pitched in a game since 2019. Uh, The bulk of the career is amazing, Brendan. Yeah. The last couple years, not so much. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go with 15 great years with Seattle. It was kind of like... 12, yeah. and then he had a few send-off 15 years. 15 total years with 15 Seattle. 15 total years with Seattle is a better way to put it. But when you look at his Hall of Fame case, he had a stretch of dominance. I mean, for a period of seven or eight years, Felix Hernandez was probably the best pitcher in Major League Baseball or one of the best pitchers yeah. in Major League Baseball. The dude was unhittable. I mean, he has more strikeouts in his career than hits allowed, and that's after a few seasons of not pitching very well. Yeah. One of the best strikeout starters of all time. Absolutely. But the Mariners really overworked him. And I think that's part of the reason why he's only 34 years old. Yeah. But it seems like if you ask somebody, you might say that he's like 38. 
because it feels like his decline has come sooner than it should have. I mean, he's still younger than guys like Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer, but his peak obviously fell off a lot quicker. He's actually fourth among active pitchers in innings, despite being 13 years behind Bartolo Colon, who's in first, three years younger than Justin Verlander, and two years younger than Zach Greinke. Yeah, that's what happens when you make your debut at age 19. Right. Uh, you make your first All-Star game at age 23 back in 2009. You win your first Cy Young, and to this point, only Cy Young for Felix Hernandez at age 24. So he did definitely peak early. And for a Mariners team that was not making the playoffs a whole lot of those years, uh, you know, that's... Uh, did they ever make the playoffs during that time period? I don't think he's... Has he ever pitched in a playoff game? I think he has. I don't know about that. I don't, I, I don't think he ever has. I don't think the guy has really? ever pitched in a playoff game, which is one of the saddest I was going to say of, that yeah. maybe they snuck into the playoffs somewhere with I Felix think they, Hernandez. I think they still have a playoff drought, which is uh, ongoing. But Whew. anyway, yeah. Uh, but anyway, he makes... He made... Uh, Six All-Star games in seven years from 2009 to 2015. The only time he didn't make an All-Star game in that stretch was when he won the Cy Young as a 24-year-old um, and was incredibly consistent during that time period. Between 2006 and 2015, never made fewer than 30 starts. So they were using him. He was healthy. He was going out there every fifth day. And, of course, these teams were not very good, so they were relying on him a little bit more. This was also probably, you know, managers and front offices were not as wary about overusing pitchers. So he did get used up um, by that those Mariners teams. Those were worth it, considering the stretch of dominance that he had. Right. Um, but it definitely has shown the past couple of years. 2016... There were already some signs of his decline. That was just his age 30 year. He had a 3.82 ERA, which was uh, the highest it had been in like 10 years. Uh, and then 2017, 2018, 2019 is when he really started to, um, I don't want to say fall off, but really had some bad years at the end of his time with Seattle. 4.36 ERA, 5.55 in 2018, and then finally in 2019, made just 15 starts a 6-4-0 ERA. Well, it almost might be a good thing that Felix Hernandez isn't quite a Hall of Famer yet based on his resume because he needs a little bit of a, not quite a career resurgence. He doesn't yeah. need to be quite the dominant pitcher that he was early on in his career, but he would certainly be helped by at least a few seasons of having even an ERA around four and yeah. just racking up some more strikeout numbers and things like that, certainly getting some more wins. I mean, for a guy who is as good as Felix Hernandez has been, his win-loss record does not really reflect the dominance that he had. So I think, you know, we thought that he might have it in Atlanta last year. Obviously, he opted out with the COVID season. But I think if he's able to throw together a few good years, his Hall of Fame case looks a lot better. Because yeah. right now, it's pretty shaky. And maybe that's a little bit of motivation for him thinking, okay, I need a few more good years to really solidify my Cooperstown bid. Yeah, it would be a nice story to have that happen, at least have it happen for a little bit in Baltimore. Maybe ultimately, of course, as with all additions to this Orioles team and especially minor league guys on minor league contracts, they're probably looking to flip him by the deadline to a, a contending team. I saw some comparisons out there, and I get the comparisons of how the Orioles of the earlier 21st century did a lot of um, digging in 
bins of future potential Hall of Famers who were nearing the end of their careers. Sammy Sosa, Jim Tomey, uh, Vlad Guerrero, oh, yep. um, Johan Santana. So well, the, list goes on, the list goes on and on. But it's fun. It, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's a nice storyline to have. And it, it's, a you know, obviously fans can buy jerseys and it's somebody that you come to the ballpark for. This is a slightly different case because I think in all, almost all of those instances, they were looking for those guys to be contributors. They were assuming that those guys were going to help them win games. The Orioles are not expecting really much, if anything, from Felix Hernandez. And it's, it is clear from the contract that they're not expecting much, if anything, because a minor league deal, spring training invite, makes a million dollars if he makes the team. Uh, and it shouldn't be a particularly hard rotation to crack at this point, as we talked about last week when they traded Alex Cobb. There are still two open spots after you get past Means, Kramer, and Aiken. Uh, but they're really, if if he comes to camp and just does not look like the guy that they were expecting, does not uh, make the team out of camp, not the end of the world, because they will get by without him with a combination of an Eshelman, a Wade LeBlanc, um, some other guy, Jorge Lopez. So they're not relying on Felix Hernandez to come in and, and be a Cy Young winner and be right. an all-star here. They are hoping that he can make the team. They're hoping he can earn a starting spot out of camp. But if he doesn't, it's not the end of the world. Well, look, he's also not terribly far off from cracking the Orioles starting rotation. I think he has a pretty good shot to do so next year. I mean, from 2016 to 2019, he had a 4.89 ERA over those seasons. The Orioles in 2020 had a team ERA of 4-5-1. So he's certainly not the same pitcher that he used to be, but it's not like he's terribly far off from where the rest yeah. of the rotation is. I mean, John Means sat at a 4-5-3, Alex Cobb 4-3-0, Aiken 4-5-6, and Dean Kramer a 4-8-2. I know that's inflated a little bit because of the smaller sample size, but still, I don't think he is that much worse ERA-wise than the rest of the Orioles' rotation might be at this point. Right, and somebody's bringing up in our, because we are live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, as always, well, tune into our shows live, uh, somebody bringing up that he was solid for Atlanta in spring training um, in 2020, and he actually was. For, you know, he only pitched 13 and two-thirds innings, um, but ERA just below two, 1.98 ERA, 14 strikeouts to five walks, so it looked like he was probably going to make that Atlanta team out of spring training and, of course, had to opt out. But he probably would have been with that Atlanta team that ended up being so desperate for starting pitching that, that they traded Tommy Malone. Tommy Malone. So yeah. maybe the Atlanta will come calling again in July and say, yeah. hey, Felix Hernandez turned out to be the guy that we thought we were getting when we signed him in 2020. Um, you know, well, we'd like to trade for him. The, the thing that is concerning, I think even more concerning than his stats for those final years in Seattle, and you mentioned, Brendan, that they're not terrible but what I think is a little bit concerning is kind of what led to that. Apparently, he had some inconsistent mechanics in his final couple years there. He was hitting some rough patches and was not really looking for ways to change his approach, was kind of resistant to change, um, and tried to bulk up at one point and ended up hurting his shoulder as a result of that. So that is, to me, a little bit more concerning than the numbers themselves. I'm sure the Orioles and Michael Elias have done their homework on this, and I'm sure the Braves last year did their homework on this, and they trust that he is uh, has those issues in the past, or at least has shown that he is willing to change, willing to change his approach uh, in order to find success again. 
But that is certainly a reason for concern, and it's another reason why the Orioles were able to get him so cheaply. Well, and as I was saying before, it might work out for the Orioles that he needs a little bit more to make a Hall of Fame push. Yeah. I mean, maybe that can be the motivation at this point for Felix Hernandez. Maybe he needs to make those changes that he was previously resistant to if he wants to get to Cooperstown. And you would have to think for a guy entering his 16th season who has racked up as many accolades as he has, I mean, six-time top 10 Cy Young finisher, four times inside the top four, two-time ERA champ. I mean, he has the foundation for a resume for a Hall of Fame bid. He just needs a little bit more on top of it to get him over the top, and maybe that's the motivation he needs. Yeah, it is ridiculous when you look at that stretch of dominance. I mean, he was in the... He got Cy Young votes, what, six times in that stretch, and uh, every time was in the top 10 in the Cy Young. Yep. Finished in the top three for the Cy Young three times. Um, Got MVP votes five years in that six or seven year stretch. But it is so hard to make the Hall of Fame. It is so unbelievably hard to make the Hall of Fame. Um, So it is just, they're they're hoping that they can get something. He's certainly hoping that he can just rack up some numbers at the end of his career, I think. And, And maybe if the Orioles get some good production out of him, he looks healthy, he looks good to go make some quality starts in Baltimore. They flip him at the deadline to a contending team. He ends up making a postseason push, makes the playoffs for the first time in his career, <laughs> makes a run to the World Series. You this never is a know. lot of maybes with this, Felix it Hernandez. It is a, lot, a ton of maybes. Look, and, we want Felix Hernandez in the Hall of Fame, is yeah. what we're trying to say. And then he can wear an Orioles cap on his plaque in I the agree. Hall of Fame. You would think he has to. Yeah, and then I think he's going to go up there and thank Brandon Hyde in his speech for, uh, you know, and Chris Holt for turning his career around and, and yeah. turning him into a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Um, but look, I mean, it's not unprecedented that guys kind of have this second life at the end of their careers. Um, and certainly a guy who, you know, he was pretty re- fairly reliant on the fastball earlier on in his career, but he still has a dominant changeup. And for him to be able to utilize that a little bit more uh, and lean into that, again, not expecting a whole lot. I think the Orioles are hoping that he is going to make um, the opening day roster. They're hoping he's going to take one of those two spots at the end of the rotation for them. I think they hope for a little bit more from him than they would for a Wade LeBlanc, who they just signed as well, who last year for the O's uh, came on, I think it was a minor league deal that the Orioles signed him to. I can't remember in a year ago. But at this point, they signed him to a minor league deal uh, with an invitation to spring training. 806 ERA last year for the Orioles. uh, Had elbow issues, got shut down very early in the season. Was... From all intents and purposes, from what we heard, we were not in the clubhouse, but what from, from what we heard, he was great in the clubhouse, was a veteran leader. Talked to him at the end of the year. He loved his time in Baltimore. He loved being able to mentor some of these young guys, and he was especially complimentary of Brandon Hyde and the coaching staff. So it was kind of a perfect fit from that standpoint. But again, I mean, I know a lot of fans look at a signing like Wade LeBlanc, and they said, massive ERA last year did not perform well and ended up getting hurt, and he's 35, 36 years old. But keep in mind, it's not like they're signing him to a major league deal. It's not like they're guaranteeing him a spot at a camp. All they're doing is increasing the competition at a camp. They're probably hoping, you know, either he wins a spot in camp because he's good, or maybe one of the Rule 5 guys. Maybe Tyler Wells or Max Aroller takes that spot, or maybe Thomas Eshelman takes a jump up and grabs that spot for him, or maybe even Michael Bauman is so good in camp that he can't be ignored any longer and wait in the minor leagues and he takes his spot. So even guys like Felix Hernandez and Wade LeBlanc are still going to be placeholders in this season. They're 
almost definitely not going to be with the Orioles for the entirety of the 2021 season. Well, look, we put up Wade LeBlanc's stats, and they're not great, but you can't you can't put veteran presence on a stat sheet. You know what I mean? You can't you can't put that on a stat sheet. The value that he brings to a locker room, the value that he brings to young pitchers like Dean Kramer and Keegan Aiken, especially Keegan Aiken's kind of a crafty lefty, and that's what Wade LeBlanc has been for his entire career. So you can't really put of quite a value on what he brings to some of those younger pitchers. And again, you're not looking for Wade LeBlanc to be your number two starter in the rotation. Those spots are already locked down. You're looking for somebody who's going to compete for that number four, number five spot. And like you said, best case scenario, he's good. He beats other people out for that number four, number five spot. And you get a decent amount of production out of Wade LeBlanc. Worst case scenario, you're not really risking much because he just doesn't yeah. make the team well, on a minor and, league signing. And further along with that best case scenario, you flip him. You're right. able to flip him for somebody. And, uh, you know, that's exactly, again, we keep bringing up Tommy Malone, but that's exact, that is like the best case scenario for all of these guys is a Tommy Malone situation where they end up just being, you know, good enough and a team is desperate enough. We see how desperate teams get for starting pitchers by midseason when they are trying to make a playoff push and they just, a couple guys go down and they are looking for somebody to fill in, I don't know, 10, maybe fewer starts in their rotation just to get them to the postseason. So um, it can happen again. And we just saw that Angels trade actually a top 10 prospect in their system for Alex Cobb. So pitchers don't even have to be that good for you to get something good for them at the deadline or even not at the deadline. Right. I don't think there is any harm in signing Wade LeBlanc, whether you yeah. are super excited about this signing or not, it, it's no risk. Yeah. Because what is the worst that can happen if you sign Wade LeBlanc to a minor league deal? The, the worst, not much. The worst, that, the worst case scenario is probably that he's good enough in camp to make the team, earns a spot in the rotation, struggles when he actually is out there. Okay, fine. Sure. And uh, then you, know, you replace him with somebody, somebody else. else. Exactly. He's he won't be left floundering there all season like the well, we have nobody else. Well, you're gonna have Michael Bauman, Alexander Wells, Zach Lowther, Kevin Smith potentially taking those spots. And according to Rock Cabaco, the Orioles are still looking to add starting pitchers. They're still looking potentially to add somebody on a major league deal. And these are two minor league deals. So maybe they want to add somebody as that fourth starter. They have LeBlanc and Felix Hernandez battle it out for that fourth. Uh, fifth spot. So somebody in the comments asking about him being Felix Hernandez being turned into a reliever potentially and whether they might explore that. I don't know at this point, maybe they could, um, but I tend to think they won't just because he's really almost never been used as a reliever throughout the course of his career. If that's something that they talk to him beforehand and he's comfortable with it and Chris Holt feels like that's the best use for him, maybe, but I think to start, they are going to try him uh, in the starting rotation. Well, to backtrack real quick to a point I wanted to make about Wade LeBlanc, yeah. it's not like an Alex Cobb scenario where you're paying him a bunch of money so he has to be in the starting rotation even if he isn't pitching well. Yeah. If Wade LeBlanc isn't pitching well, you yank him and somebody else goes in the starting rotation. Yeah. But for Felix Hernandez, I would be very surprised if he gets moved into a reliever role just because he's always been a starter, like you said. And relievers typically have like one or two pitches that are really good and that's how they get through short stints because they're only facing, you know, three or six batters get mm. through an inning or two. The issue with Felix Hernandez over the last few years is that his pitches just haven't been 
as dominant as they used to be, but he still has a four, five, six pitch mix that he can use. Yeah. So it's not like he's a reliever that has one or two specialized pitches. Maybe if he just doesn't work out well, but he still has maybe his changeup is working. I guess you could put him in the bullpen, but I think they are at least hoping that Felix Hernandez is in the starting rotation for this year. At the very least, maybe we could get a socially distanced Kings Court. Oh, that's true. Yards. We shall see. Hopefully, we will get some fans in the stands. I think we're, we'll probably get some fans in the stands down Fingers in uh, Sarasota, Florida. So yep. maybe when they come up to Baltimore, by this point, uh, we get some fans in the stands. That'd be nice. And we get some uh, Kings Court for Felix Hernandez. Would be nice as well. There you go. Um, all right. Before we change topics, just want to shout out somebody who said, very messy home. Thank you so much. We do our best. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that yeah. is tough. It is tough. We try to take care of this place, but look, when you have a TV studio in your living room, it... Uh, we said comment along with your thoughts. We were hoping about the Orioles. <laughs> and we want... Is pers- it the bobbleheads that are messy? I like the bobbleheads. Like the bobbleheads as well, you know? Yeah. We got the go orange You're looking on the right into our kitchen. Yeah. This is our whole lives spread out Man. in front of you. Yeah. I thought we were doing okay. I can't wait for the maintenance guy to like come fix our lights like during this and he's gonna like knock on the door and yeah. then we're gonna we're gonna keep going live through that entire thing. So yeah. would be uh would well, be that's interesting. disappointing. It is. Um all right, let's let's switch our <laughs> topics and talk about the Orioles Ooh. lineup. Yeah. Going from the starting rotation to the lineup machinations because um we can talk about what the Orioles lineup will look like on opening day. And what they w- it will look like on Game 62, because I think those two lineups will be radically different. Yes. And I think for the purpose of this exercise, we can try to put ourselves in Brandon Hyde's shoes and think of what he would do with the Orioles starting lineup. But we can also kind of talk about what we would do, mm-hmm. what we think uh, the kind of changes might be beneficiary. We'll play uh, armchair manager for the let's purpose of this just a little bit. Yeah. Um, let's start with our opening day lineups. Um Still stuff yet to be determined, but I think most of the pieces are set in stone at this point. Brendan, do you want to start us off with who you think you should be in the starting lineup and maybe who you think will be in the starting lineup on opening day? You know what? I would April be honored 1st. to okay. start this off. Please do. Uh, this is what my opening day lineup looks like if I were making it. I don't think this is what the opening day lineup is going to look like, but I've got Cedric Mullins in center. I know there's pretty much a toss-up at this point between will Cedric Mullins play in center with Austin Hayes in a corner outfield spot with DJ Stewart or, excuse me, with Anthony Santander in right, Austin Hayes in left, or will it be DJ Stewart at maybe a DH instead of Cedric Mullins? I went with Cedric Mullins because I value the defense a little bit more, and he hit pretty well for average last year. And then I've got Ryan Mountcastle DHing rather than left because I've got Austin Hayes there. Santander, Trey Mancini at first, Pedro Severino instead of Chance Sisko behind the dish. And then I've got Jemai Jones in there at second base as well. I don't think that's going to happen. I would like it to, but I don't think it will. Because personally, I think Rio Ruiz has kind of shown us that he's not really the answer at third base. But I think Rio Ruiz will probably be the opening day third baseman for the O's with Yolmer Sanchez at second. Speak it into existence, Brendan. I'm there trying. Is, there is no bitter, bigger Cedric Mullins stand. That's absolutely correct. Than Brandon Mortensen. And uh, yeah, I think given his production, not just defensively what he brings in center, but offensively he was way better than yep. DJ Stewart. Um, and 
Well, yes and no. The average was much better for Cedric Mullins, but DJ Stewart still got on base. He had a better on base well, and, percentage. And hit more homers. And hit more homers. Um, DJ Stewart was walking a lot more than I think a lot of people gave him credit yes. for. Well, he, <laughs> he was getting on base more. He, there was a stretch at the beginning of the season where he didn't have a hit for like 16 games, but had like eight walks. Yeah. So he was walking for a time. He was walking. He went through that ridiculous stretch where he hit a million home runs against New York based teams yep. and then came way back down to earth and struggled near the end of the year. If I had to choose between Stewart and Mullins, I go with Mullins just because of the defense in center field. And I like the batting average more than I like the walks, but I can see why people would want DJ Stewart in the middle of the lineup if they want more power. So the other thing that gives me hesitation when looking at that lineup, Brendan, is that from what we have heard, at least from Mike Elias, is that Ryan Mountcastle will most likely be in left field to start the season. Yes. Which would take And we, we've Hayes. had this discussion before we about have. my thoughts on Ryan Mountcastle in the outfield. Ultimately, spark notes, you think he's better as a first baseman, DH type in the future. Yeah, that's my spark notes. Yeah. Uh, my spark notes is that I value defense in the outfield a lot more. And I think Austin Hayes is good in center field and even better in left. So the combination of Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes and Anthony Santander, who is sneaky good in right field defensively, uh, I just really like outfield defense. I know that it's not necessarily a need, especially in a place like left field for Ryan Mountcastle, who was fine. He was fine. Yeah. Didn't really notice him. But yeah, spark notes, I would rather have Ryan Mountcastle playing first base. So if they don't go with Ryan Mountcastle at first or DH and they stick him in left, which is what I expect that they will do to start the year, because try him out in left for as long as possible is my thinking. Mm -hmm. Make sure he can't play the position. You know, get get right. to the point, push him to try to be the best left fielder he can be defensively. If he If it doesn't work out, doesn't work out, but at least you're giving him a large enough sample size to try it because right. that is a guy who can play left in addition to first is much more valuable than a pure first baseman. So you've got Mountcastle and left and then DJ Stewart DHing in that case. In this case, yeah. So I think that, and I kept Rio Ruiz as well. So my opening day lineup, similar to yours, but slightly different. Austin Hayes leading off in center, Trey Mancini at first, Anthony Santander in right, Mountcastle in left, then you've got Severino behind the dish, Rio Ruiz at third, DJ Stewart as your DH, and then the couple of switch hitters at the end of the lineup there with Yolmer Sanchez and Freddie Galvis. So in this machination also, not a whole lot of lefties, especially near the top of the lineup. And I don't know where I would, you know, the fact that you have Yolmer Sanchez and Freddie Galvis right at the end, it would go Rio Ruiz, DJ Stewart, Yolmer Sanchez, Freddie Galvis, which would be left, left, switch, switch. And then the top of the lineup is right, right, switch, right, right. So they would yeah. probably have to break that up somehow. Well, that's more lefties than in my lineup that didn't have DJ yes. Stewart or Rio Ruiz. So not a true lefty anywhere in this lineup. But Paul, I think yours is probably a lot more similar to what Brandon Hyde will go with yeah. on opening day. Mine was more of a wishful thinking if I were a manager kind of thing. I think this is more realistic to what Brandon Hyde might do. And I look at it and I still do kind of struggle with that DJ Stewart, Rio Ruiz spot right in the middle of the lineup there, because that could be a potential black hole kind of offensively for them. Yeah. If DJ Stewart, if is, both of them are slumping, it yeah. is, whew. it's, it's a tough spot in the lineup. So I think honestly, ultimately Jemai Jones will take over at second. They'll move Yolmer Sanchez over to third. And I think Rio Ruiz is, 
I don't want to say his days as a big leaguer with the Orioles are numbered, but he is certainly has a lot more competition at his back than he might have in 2020 or in 2019. So I think that they might give Rio Ruiz one more final shot. He'll make the opening day club. He'll be in the opening day lineup uh, to try to make an impact. If he doesn't take it and run with it, that's probably the end of his big, big league days, at least with the Orioles. And the same with DJ Stewart. That competition is going to be nipping at DJ Stewart's heels between Yusniel Diaz, who we don't think is going to make the opening day roster, but very well could, um, and the Brian McKenna, who we'll get to at some point, plus, obviously, Anthony Santander and Mountcastle and Hayes and Mullins. So DJ Stewart, I think, is going to have one more opportunity. Uh, same with Rio Ruiz. If they don't take advantage of that, that could be... All right, thank you so much, and we're going to switch it over to using the LDS and some of the younger guys. Well, and it's not like they haven't been given an opportunity. Yes. It's, yeah, they it's have not had, like both Rio had a Ruiz, fair shake. Right. Rio Ruiz and DJ Stewart have both been with the Orioles for long enough where if they were going to prove themselves, they probably would have by now. And I think they, like you said, they will probably have one more chance this season to really prove that they should be starters and significant contributors for the Orioles. But when you have all of these prospects coming up, it is natural to think that they will probably have more potential than someone like Rio Ruiz and DJ Stewart, especially if you haven't really seen it yet from either. Yeah. Uh, somebody's saying, with all, without all those bunt hits, Cedric Mullins' average would be like 230. Yeah, but you can't count out the bunt hits. The they bunt still hits count are just as much they as They count this, just as much. As a line drive single to right. Look, I will, if you would like to fight me about Cedric Mullins and my love for Cedric Mullins, please tweet me, beat me if you want to reach me. Yeah. I am the Cedric Mullins stan. I think given a full year, he is a gold glove candidate. <laughs> in center field, and I think he is a decent enough hitter for average. And may we not forget that Cedric Mullins was one of the better prospects for the Orioles just a few years ago. May we not. So, I think Cedric Mullins still has a lot of potential, and I love him in center field. So, if you would like to fight me about Cedric Mullins, please do Whoa, so. Okay. Please do so. Don't, don't, don't advocate a fight, Brendan, here. Just, just verbally. All right. That's fair. <laughs> uh, one other thing I want to talk about with this opening day lineup real quickly is the 2-3 spot with Mancini and Santander. Back in 2019, when we saw the two of these guys in the same lineup, Brandon Hyde usually went with Mancini in the two-hole, Santander in the three-hole, but weirdly enough, their numbers were actually better when Mancini was in the three-hole, Santander was in the two-hole. So, obviously, we'll see how healthy, we assume Trey Mancini is going to be fully healthy, we hope that he is, um, but you know, it would be understandable if Brandon Hyde eases him back into things. But that being said, I think it'll be interesting to see that 2-3 hole where they end up going. And maybe they move my, Ryan Mountcastle up to a 2-3 spot as opposed to where I have him right now in the 4 hole. Well, I think that's got to be the 2-3-4 in some combination. In some combination. Right? Mancini, I'm, Santander, Mountcastle. Those yeah. seem to be pretty clearly the three best hitters on the team as of right now. And I think those have to be your 2-3-4 hitters in some combination. Yeah. I mean, I had Mountcastle 2, Santander 3, Mancini 4. I think you can flip those around however you want and still have a good 2, 3, 4. Yeah, and then when we start to talk about, uh, let's talk about kind of splits with righties, lefties. Mm -hmm. I think one different change that the Orioles could make if they're just facing a righty and they want to just make a change, um, Chance Cisco in instead of Pedro Severino. Um, Severino actually just does not hit righties nearly, um, or it's... 
Yeah, does not hit righties nearly as well as he hits lefties. Career over Severino's career, 368 OPS against righties, 733 against lefties. Cisco is the opposite. 704 against righties, 590 OPS against lefties. So maybe, you know, they use Severino more specifically against lefties and they have Cisco get his cracks in against righties. Well, Severino was actually better against righties last year, but when you're looking at the career numbers, yeah. Cisco is probably the way to go. The other change that I made against right-handers, if you're thinking of Rio Ruiz as your third baseman, I actually inserted Pat Valeka into the lineup against right-handed pitching. He hit 276 against righties last year with four home runs and 12 RBIs. Ruiz did have seven home runs, but he hit just 204. So I would have Pat Faleka in there instead, personally, yeah. instead of Rio Ruiz at third base. Um, and then against lefties, this is kind of tough because this is a... Whew. The Orioles don't hit lefties very well. They're, no, uh, not at all. Their uh, career numbers, when you look at the what we project at least to be their opening day lineup, not too many changes they could make here. One change I might make is I think Ryan McKenna is going to make the opening day roster. Maybe you could put Ryan McKenna in center and put Hayes on the bench just to give him an at-bat. I think McKenna, over his, the course of his minor league career, minor league numbers, we'll see how they translate when he, once he gets to the major league level, but traditionally, over the entire course of his career, McKenna has hit lefties way better than he has hit righties. Uh, 268 against left-handers, 215 against righties in 2019 with Bowie. Uh, Austin Hayes in his career, sub-200 hitter against lefties, over 300 hitter against righties. So uh, McKenna, I think, may get an opportunity it, uh, in this with this opening day team. He might make the team out of camp, and I could see him being inserted in some lineups when they're facing a lefty. Well, the thing about the Orioles lineup against left-handed pitchers is that realistically, you're probably not taking out a bunch of guys against lefties, but if you're looking at just the numbers and going purely on who the better hitters are against left-handed pitchers, this lineup looks drastically different yeah. than it does against right-handed pitchers. I mean, Anthony Santander hit 167 against lefties last year. Yolmer Sanchez has, at least recently, the highest average against lefties. He hit 292 against left-handed pitching back in 2019. I have him in the leadoff spot, Paul, because nobody else hits lefties well. I mean, Cedric Mullins I even have in over DJ Stewart because Cedric Mullins hit 171 against lefties and DJ Stewart hit 125. Yeah. I mean, nobody in this Orioles lineup is really very good against lefties and you really have to move people around. Rio Ruiz finds himself in the middle of my lineup against lefties because he hit 289 last year. The, the only difference, though, is uh, with Ruiz. He has, over the course of his career, hit lefties against better than righties, kind of reverse splits because he's yeah. a lefty, but way fewer at-bats. Right. So because he is um, being used more against righties, has typically been kept to the bench when they're facing lefties. But when he is playing against lefties, he hits them pretty well. Yeah. So a, a lot of screwing around with this lineup, trying to find... Yeah. Actually, somebody in this Orioles lineup who hits a left-handed pitcher very well because there are, are not many of them. Brendan, I want to hear your all-defense lineup. I want to hear this is a, a case in which you just want to put your best defensive players out there. I yes. don't know what the, what the impetus for this would be for Brandon Hyde. He just wants to see all of his potential gold glovers on the field at once. Well, we already know Cedric Mullins is in there in center field. Yeah. That was a given. He's in my lineups anyway. 
it honestly doesn't look too much different than my opening day lineup, which probably says a lot about me and what I value. I've got Austin Hayes in left, Ryan Mountcastle DHing, Anthony Santander in right, Trey Mancini at first base. Rio Ruiz at third was kind of a toss-up for me. I didn't know whether to keep Ruiz at third or move Yolmer Sanchez from second to third. But Yolmer Sanchez recently has a gold glove at second base, so I decided to keep him there. Chance Cisco catching Freddie Galvis at short is my lineup. So Mountcastle DHing. Yep. So you take him out. Um, Trey Mancini goes to first, and then yeah. my outfield is Hayes, Mullins, and Santander. I almost thought about putting Ryan McKenna in there, but Santander's defensive metrics... Very good. Yeah. And very we'll, good. Very good. And we'll see what McKenna ends up being at the major league level. We don't right. we don't really know how good he was defensively. We can kind of get, you know, like a scouting report and watch games of how he was. He played almost every game, I think maybe every game in 2019 with Bowie in center. So he is definitely a center fielder. Can play the corner outfield probably if need be, but he can play center if if you know called upon. Um We'll see if that defense translates. We'll see if, if he is going to be um, a good defensive center fielder once he hits the bigs. Uh, the only the question I would have in terms of catching between Severino and Cisco, over the course of his career, bo- first off, over the course of their careers, neither Chan Cisco nor Pedro Severino has been an above-average defensive catcher. Right. Uh, Severino actually negative 13 defensive runs saved in 2019. That's a lot. Which is bad. Plus one in 2020. Okay. Chance Cisco, negative 11 defensive runs saved in 2019. That's also a lot. Minus six as well in 2020. That's a lot in a short period of time, Paul. It is. It is. Uh, the eye test, I think, maybe Cisco gets a slight nod for me as a slight better defensive catcher. But let's be completely honest. We all know the best defensive catcher on in this entire organization is Austin Wins. Just kidding. Adley Rutschman, Brendan. And we're going to see him by midseason, I would think. And that is going to drastically change the catching outlook. Yes. If I went defense-heavy lineup with prospects, Adley Rutschman is catching. Yeah. Because we have not seen him at the major league level, but we can already be pretty sure that he is better defensively than both Chance Sisko and Pedro Severino. Yeah. Not that it is an incredibly high bar to clear. No. But we just have high hopes for Adley Rutschman. Yeah. Uh, before we get to our game 162 lineups, mm-hmm. let's talk about our all-offense lineups. Yeah. What kind of changes would you make, Brendan? The only two swaps that I have in there, I have DJ Stewart at DH. This one hurt a little bit uh, because I am putting DJ Stewart in an offense-heavy lineup when he hit 193 last year, which is not very good. But the reason he is in there is because of that 809 OPS. He gets on base somehow. I don't I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't quite know. But DJ Stewart with a 193 batting average makes my offense heavy lineup. And then I actually put Pat Vileka at second base instead of Yomer Sanchez. Pat Vileka, not very good defensively at second base, but that's not what we're looking for here in the offense heavy lineup. Yeah. So we put Pat Vileka at second base instead of Yomer Sanchez. Pat Vileka is kind of an interesting case because not a very good hitter over the course of his career, but has kind of two little blips. One, I think it was like 2015 or something. Several years ago when he actually hit pretty well, then fell off uh, offensively. Then last year, had another sort of career year. Yeah, 277 hitter last year. That's pretty good. With how many dingers? Like four? A few. A few. 791 OPS. Yeah. That'll do. That'll do. So, yeah, why not? Give Pat Flake a shot back in this lineup. 
Um, yeah, Yolmer Sanchez, Ryan Mountcastle. Yeah. Both in that lineup. Yeah. All right, game 162, Brendan. Game 162, <laughs> my goodness, is this unrealistic? But it's fun. It is and, fun to try uh, to imagine all the guys that might make their debuts this year. That's why I put this up. Is this happening? Let me preface this. Is this game 162 lineup going to happen? No. In my little fantasy world where the Orioles call up all of the prospects just for fun, this is what the lineup looks like. I've got Austin Hayes in left. Adley Rutschman catching and batting second is so bullish of me just thinking that Adley Rutschman is going to be the best hitter on the team yeah. by game 162. But you know what? You know what, Paul? I'm doing it anyway. You should. Adley Rutschman batting second. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle at first. Trey Mancini DHing. Yusniel Diaz in right field. You will notice no Anthony Santander in this lineup. I am predicting a trade somewhere for Anthony Santander. Not only because he will probably give you a very good return, but because Yusniel Diaz, I think, will be ready to go in right field and the Orioles want to make room for him. Jemai Jones at second base. Ryland Bannon at third Taryn Vavra at shortstop. I would be shocked if Taryn Vavra is called up to play shortstop. But it's fun anyway, so I'm doing it. Leave me alone. Uh, and Cedric Mullins in center field. Yeah, I would be pretty surprised. Pretty surprised if Taryn Vavra were to be in this Orioles 2021 team But at wouldn't all. it be fun? Wouldn't it, it be fun, It would Paul? be very fun, and I think he's going to be a, a, a quality productive MLB player at some point, whether that be in the infield or outfield, because they have tried him in the outfield. But... I just don't think that's going to be this year. The last time we saw him in minor league baseball, he was at the high A level. Um, Let me dream, Paul. Yeah, I think we'll see him in 2022, Brendan. Don't uh, don't give okay. up on that dream. Okay. But it could, it could still happen. Yeah. My shortstop in this scenario, instead of Taron Vavra, I'm going to go with Richie Martin because I think that he will eventually work his way back up to the major league level. I don't know eventually when that will be. I'm hoping that he will be there at some point. But I have Austin Hayes in left. I have Trey Mancini DHing. I have Yusniel Diaz in the three hole as a right fielder. Ryan Mountcastle at first. Adley Rutschman I have hitting lower in the lineup, at least to start. I think ultimately, early, you know, at some point in the over the course of his career, it will be a two or three hole guy in Adley Rutschman. But for now, I have him hitting fifth. And then I have Jemai Jones uh, at second base, Richie Martin, and then Ryland Bannon at third, and Ryan McKenna. I think they're going to give him his fair shake. Top 25 okay. prospect, top 30 prospect is going to be my center fielder. So our differences here, you've got Ryan McKenna instead of Cedric Mullins, and you've got Richie Martin instead yes. of Taron Vavra. Yeah, and then the order, obviously, we really have no idea because we haven't seen Diaz, Mountcastle, or sorry, we haven't seen Diaz, Rutschman, or Jones, or Bannon with this team yet. But they are all going to be amazing. I think, yeah. They're all <laughs> going to hit their They are all going to hit ceiling. 350. Yeah. If we've, we've talked, learned, if we've learned anything from Ryan Malkin, that, that's what I was just about to say. Shoot for the stars. Yeah. We have talked about the fact that we don't really talk about Ryan Mountcastle all that much because he was so good yeah. that he is just such a fixture in the lineup at this point when in reality he hasn't played that many games, but he just looked so good that he is already yeah. just put him in Sharpie in the middle of the Orioles lineup. Yeah. It's going to be an exciting lineup, I think, by the end of the season. Whether all of those guys are with the team in 2021 or not, if a handful of them are, I think that is worth um, it is it is worth watching. It's going to be a yes. team that is going to be fun. It's going to be young. Um, and we're going to see Adley Rutschman, I think, almost definitely in 2021. We're going to see 
Um, Jermaine Jones at some point in 2021. I think we're probably going to see Ryan McKenna. I think we're probably going to see Rylan Bannon. So And use Neil Diaz. And use Neil Diaz, I think, almost definitely. So yeah. um, we will see how it turns out, and we'll see what the rotation looks like. We should probably save for another podcast what the rotation is going to look like by season's end as opposed to by the beginning of the season because, yeah. again, it's going to be radically different. And in those lineups, neither of us have Anthony Santander. We are both predicting an Anthony Santander, Santander trade. trade. Yeah. Please do not take that as us wanting to trade Anthony Santander. He is a good, productive outfielder. We are just kind of seeing how the cards may fall in terms of the outfielders that the Orioles are calling up, the guys that they might want to make room for, and the prospects that they could potentially get back for Anthony Santander if over the first half of the season he has an all-star-like season like we were hoping that he does. He will probably command some very, very good con- uh, prospects, excuse me, given that he is on a controllable contract and he is a young, talented outfielder. So we are both kind of predicting it, not necessarily hoping for it, but could happen. Could happen. Uh, we are just, what is today, the ninth? We're yes. just about a week away from spring training. From pitchers wow. and catchers reporting to Sarasota, Florida. That is which soon. Is crazy. We will not be there as, of course... They are taking everything seriously yet again and making sure that uh, media and anybody unnecessary, not like we're unnecessary, but anybody not not playing the games and not coaching the players, you know, are not there in person. Um, so the two of us will not be there, but we will get coverage for you as well. Uh, that is crazy to think that it is right around the yeah. corner. Insane to think. Also, uh, taking some a couple comments real quick before we go because we're live. Matt asking anybody not on the radar that might make the team like John Means a few years ago. Ooh. In terms of starting pitchers, I think maybe Cody Sedlock. Yeah. Uh, you know, former first rounder, so it's not like he's off the radar, but was not added to the 40-man roster when they had an opportunity to and was not taken by any teams in the Rule 5 draft. But she was pretty good the last time we saw him in the minor leagues, I think could come out of camp and maybe impress in camp. Again, I mean, like Matt alludes to, John Means was on absolutely nobody's radar. I mean, nobody's yeah. radar before he ended up making the team out of camp and then having an all-star season. So there is, there might be a guy that we're really not even talking about, that we're totally missing, like a Tyler Herb or something. And we're just totally missing this guy and not talking about him that might make the team. Well, how about, uh, I'll stick with Tyler's, Tyler Nevin. Tyler Nevin. He's a first base, third base prospect. He is the 21st ranked prospect, for the 22nd ranked prospect for the O's. He is 23 years old. If Rio Ruiz struggles at third and Tyler Nevin shows enough defensively at third base, I think he's a possibility to be called up for the O's. We haven't really talked about him. And we haven't really talked much about the Rule 5 guys. Yeah. Max Roller and Tyler Wells, those are two that could even compete for starting rotation spots because they obviously need to be on the roster for the beginning of the season, given that they were Rule 5 draft picks. We haven't really talked about them because it's tough to gauge what kind of impact they might have at the major league level, but they're certainly going to be in the conversation because they're on the roster. They're total wild cards because I remember last year, the Orioles took Brandon Bailey, they took Michael Rucker, and I was expecting, all right, maybe Brandon Bailey might make the team uh, maybe may get some starts in here, be a starter. Maybe they'll use Rucker out of the bullpen. Send them both back on the same day, like yeah. in, in March. So, uh, you know, it, it it's impossible to predict how these guys are going to be. And especially because we haven't seen any of these guys, any of these minor leaguers up close since 2019. All we have to go by is fall instructional league camp from what we've heard from coaches and 
you know, some scouts. But other than that, we are just kind of guessing. So I think we will start to get a whole lot more clarity in a week and a half when yes. these guys start reporting and we start getting, you know, hearing and uh, what these guys look like, getting video back. It's going to be an exciting spring. Uh, my final answer is that Tyler Nevin is my sleeper. That's my final answer. All right. And I think we have to end every, Well, first off, at Brendan Morty, at Paul Mancano, please follow us on Twitter. Please rate, review, subscribe. That stuff matters. And, of course, watch it live if you're not watching live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. We typically do these on Tuesdays. We'll see once spring training starts and the regular season starts, How if that shifts at all. But for now, our schedule is on Tuesday. So join us every Tuesday morning for the Mass and All Access podcast. Uh, and you can find it anywhere you can find podcasts. But, Brendan, I think we have to close out podcasts every way for a certain way from now on yes by just saying well it, let's see is there is there a comment about it so we can sneak it in or do we just have to say it? we just have to say it all right well yep. do you want to do the honors or would you like me to uh i think i got this he's brendan mortensen i'm paul mancano adley rutschman we'll see you later